Nick mentioned, my name is Josh. I'm also likewise thankful uh, for continuing our series in Psalms today. Uh, how many of you enjoyed the past couple of weeks in Psalms so far? All right, what's up? Uh, today we're going to be turning the ship a little bit. We're going to kind of start navigating through the Psalms and using them in order to kind of get to the bottom of some human emotion, to, to kind of investigate humanity a little bit. And actually, the emotion we're starting on today is something that's, that's kind of heavy, uh, but then in addition, it is, um, man, it, it, it's, it's really impactful. It's one of the biggest things that happens in our lives, and therefore, it's worth us taking time to explore today. And it's the idea of grief. Uh, the idea of grief. Now, I've been told by people that grief, man, it, it's, it's almost, it's so impactful to our lives that grief can create a sense of before grief and after grief right in the middle of our life. And so it, it's impactful. It's meaningful. And let me, let me assure you, man, whether you've experienced grief to that extent, like, right, like it changes everything, uh, or you haven't, the reality is that grief and pain is coming to each and every person. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to harsh your mellow today, man. I'm so sorry about that. At the same time, Right? It's not my goal to discourage you, but I'm, I'm also like, I want us to see that, man, grief doesn't just encompass like someone dying, right? But like the reality is that, man, grief strikes us when, when we feel relationally like discouraged or alone. It happens when we, we see our dreams and our aspirations seemingly die and we don't get what we hope for. It happens when we feel like we're a victim of something that, that maybe we are in reality, a victim of something that's horrific. And yes, it does happen when, when we experience the passing of people that we love. And so every single person in here, at, at some point, inevitably, whether high or low, is going to experience grief. Christ himself in John 16 was like, oh, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, man, you're going to experience troubles in this world. Like, that's going to happen. And he did that because he saw the fragility, right? He sees the fragility of our lives in the midst of like a hard world and a broken world. All of us can testify to the fact that that's the reality. <clears throat> And so, man, we want to take time to turn to Scripture and ask us to guide us, uh, ask Him to guide us uh, in kind of navigating through grief, navigating what that looks like. And, and man, I'm praying the Lord just do a great work in our hearts today. Really show us that, man, grief has its place. Grief has its purpose. Good grief. <laughs> grief. All right. Grief has its place and has its purpose in our life. Uh, but man, that place and purpose is only found when Christ is at the center of our experience. Okay? So can we jump in today? Can we jump in? Alright, that got significantly less interactive. Uh, no big deal, no big deal. We're just jumping. Alright. Uh, we're going to go to Psalm 137. Uh, we're going to go ahead and read this out loud. If you do not have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers will be by uh, to give you a Bible. You don't have one at home, that's our gift to you. In addition, if you go to the YouVersion Bible app, go to events, you can track along with some notes there. Uh, there's also a link to those same YouVersion Bible notes in your bulletin if you want to just plug that into your web browser. All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started reading, starting in verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willow there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth. That's like saying, um, taunted us. Taunted us, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. 
O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he, or blessed shall he be, who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. All right, so, um, man, I would love to actually take a second uh, to just explain a little bit of what's going on in here first off, right away, because I'm, I'm very, very, very aware that we read this, and it's like eyebrows up, right? It's like, whoa, this is intense. Okay, this is, this is in the Bible, right? Like, everybody has that reaction to certain things in the Bible. Man, I want to provide some context to this before we move forward so that we can all get a grip of what's happening here. This is directly tied to a historical event, which was the Babylonian Empire, an ancient civilization coming in and conquering Jerusalem. And when they conquered Jerusalem, they took some of the highest ranking people from the country, from the Jews, and they took them off to Babylon, the, the capital of the civilization, for them to serve there and be present there, uh, really be enslaved there in a lot of ways, although they were treated decently. But, but that's not all the story. The reality is that, man, this wasn't something we can kind of just say like a historical event, like we read the history book. Because, man, this was deep and heavy. They, they literally, the, the, the Jewish people here, the Hebrew people, they watched as their loved ones, their friends, their family, even their own children, were brutally beaten, murdered, made, in some reports, like literally torn apart based on customs of the time right in front of them. And so just imagine the most vivid picture, like on CNN or whatever, of war and, and heartache and just wailing that you've ever seen. And that's what was taking place here. Maybe even a, a little bit worse than that in a lot of ways. And it's from this deep despair uh, that, that we get this song. This song of, of people really mourning. It. It's called a lament song. It, it's, it's literally a song that gives us insight to the grief of like, people's hearts. And so, man, this actually, like I said, gives us this unique insight that, that I hope we can kind of take advantage of today. We can take advantage of it because it's meant to show us an aspect of who we are and meant to show us who God is. And so I, I want to take three points about grief today from this text. and I, I, They're all kind of interlinked and they're going to overlap a little bit. But I want to present those to you so that we can work through them together over the next few minutes. All right, and those three points are this. The first one is that grief is right. Grief is right. The second one is man, grief can bear fruit. Grief can bear fruit. And the third one is that grief bears our heart. Grief bears our heart. Okay, let's go ahead and dive into the first point, which is that grief is right. Verse 1, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. That word Zion is another word for Jerusalem. And, and I want you to grasp this, that Jerusalem for, for these people in this context, at this time, was more than just saying that I'm, I'm weeping because I lost my home. It was the epicenter of everything that, that really communicated to them life. And this was, this was the place where they it was kind of the central place for their faith, where they prayed to God, where they met God. It was the place where their families had been rooted for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and in fact, it was, it was also a testimony of God's own faithfulness to them. Going all the way back to the days of Moses where God had promised a specific territory or land, Jerusalem, and then God provided that land as they conquered and moved into uh, the area. So it was actually a testimony of God's goodness. And so, man, it was actually like, like a huge deal for them to lose that. It was hurtful. It was sad. Because they had lost, and, and really something had been like vitally taken away from them that was good. And so thinking about that good thing, 
the loss and the change, they sat down by the waters of Babylon in a foreign land, and they wept. And I want to make an emphatic point to you right now. And I hope you hear this. Grief is not sin. Grieving is not sinful. Grieving is not weak. Grieving is not pathetic. Grieving is not out of control. Grieving is actually right. Because grieving is the right response to seeing or experiencing the brokenness of the world. I want you to hear that again. Grieving is not sin. Grieving is the right response to seeing and experiencing the brokenness of the world. When we grieve, when we experience sorrow, when we experience pain, what happens is that it is a testimony that something here is not right. It's a testimony that something is better out there that we don't have right now. Grieving is not sin. In fact, grieving is godly. Because whether someone is a believer or whether someone is not a believer, the reality is when we grieve, every tear is a testimony that there is something better for us that we don't have. That there is a beautiful creation in Christ. There is a beautiful creation in the initial creation of God that has been distorted, and now we only can, can really rely on Christ to bring that back out. Man, so it is a testimony to the world, it's a testimony to our heart, it's a testimony to the universe that, man, God is real, he's good, his creation is good, he's beautiful, he's awesome, but we are missing that right now. That, that's what happens when we grieve. And so it's actually a right thing. It's a right thing to grieve. But I do want to be really clear here. Man, there are patterns that are wrong in grieving. Though grieving itself is right. We can form patterns in grief that are wrong. And so we've seen some of these, right? Like people, we can see when we grieve, maybe we've experienced this, or other people in grief we've seen experiences. Man, we can go into self-destructive cycles, isolating cycles, and hopeless uh, cycles. Man, man, those things are present. But, but I think they're, they're mainly rooted in one specific thing that, that I think this text brings to life. Okay, now look at verse 2. Verse 2 says that, on the willow trees there in Babylon, they hung up their lyres. Their lyres were literally instruments they used to sing praises of victory to God. And then verse 4, it says that, man, they couldn't, in a foreign land, sing the praises of God. Now, now again, these were songs that declared God's victory. And it would have been extremely hard for these people to actually communicate these things and to lift their voice and sing in this moment because it would have brought to mind the depths of how bad it was. It would have brought to mind that they were helpless, that they were defeated. It would have probably reminded them that they felt far from God, that they felt like they lost everything. But what they don't realize is at the exact same moment that they're shying away from singing songs, uh, singing these songs because they don't want to remind themselves of their deep sorrow, they're also neglecting to sing songs of praise to God about how he is victorious, he is awesome, he is incredible, even when all seems lost. You see, when they miss one, they end up missing the other. When they miss one, they end up missing the other. And so the reality is, man, the thing that probably is most rooted in our experience with grief that, that kind of causes us to, to take our attention away, maybe even causes us to not heal, is that we just simply don't deal with grief. And we're just not dealing with it. Like, like we don't confront it and acknowledge that, man, in a moment of sadness, we feel this big. We feel tired. We feel defeated. We feel lonely. We feel hurt. And sometimes that's just too much for us to deal with. But when we fail to acknowledge that, we likewise fail 
to, to, to acknowledge how high God can bring us, how beautiful he is, how strong he says he's willing to be when he heals us in the midst of those extraordinary hard things. And so the question for us becomes, man, what's stopping you from, from really conceding and dealing with the depth of your sorrow? Like, like man, not, not, and I think that's a hard question because sometimes we think, well, well I'm getting over it, giving over it in, in, in the right way. I'm, I'm trying to take my mind off of things. Like, no, man, just, just deal with what's stopping you from looking at it and going, man, I'm really hurting right now. I'm really hurting right now. And I want you to see this because this is kind of the most practical application I want to talk about. Like, is it self-control? Like, or, or actually, like, like self-reliance? Like, man, I'm strong enough to get myself through this. Well, you'll probably be self-reliant when it comes to the grace of God as well. You'll probably feel like, man, you don't need his grace. You want to be strong enough to get yourself through something. And therefore, you want to experience the heights of his grace and his love and affection. Is it control? Well, like, man, if, if you don't want to release control in the moments of your sorrow, when it comes to the moments of the deep affirmation of God, you won't want to release control either. You'll miss out on that as well. And so, so man, the, the, the deal here is that, man, like, believing like, is right. Grieving can be good, but we have to we have to grieve in a way that maintains a, a certain measure of focus when we deal with the grief. Because only there can we actually kind of bear fruit in the grief, which leads us to our next point. Okay, that, that grieving is right, but in addition to grieving being right, when we acknowledge our grief, when we, we work through our grief, and we confront our grief, grieving can produce fruit. Okay, I want you to look at verse five and six. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. That word Jerusalem is really kind of a synonym in this context for God. It's saying like, man, if I forget you, God, like, man, like, glue my mouth shut. If I forget you, like, man, let me forget how to really function and live in the world. If I don't place you, God, above my highest joys, the grief that, that they're in the middle of is actually producing devotion to God. Now, I want you to, to see and hear and know something. That prior to this exile, prior to this moment where they were taken out of their country, given over to the Babylonians, they actually had lost, biblically, you can go back and read a lot of this, they actually lost most of their affection and devotion. It was actually the absence of their affection and devotion that led them into the exile in the first place, in a lot of ways. But when that exile happened, and the grief produced through that exile set in, then fruit began to be produced by it. So that then, the affection and devotion for God that was absent before was created. Right, this, is, this is kind of the, the idea that I'm hoping you grasp with this. That in God's hands, Horrible grief can produce really good fruit. Horrible grief, in God's hands, horrible grief can produce really good fruit. Like, like that's, I, I want you to see that. I want to be sensitive here because I know that it's bitter fruit. It's hard to eat fruit. It's, it's fruit that can, it's kind of tested. Because God is showing us things in the middle of our struggle. He's showing us things in the middle of our pain. Um, and the reality is, man, we're still, we're still, we're still mourning. We're still sad. We're still in grief. We're still in pain. Like you're still red-eyed and tear-filled and angry and confused and crying, but you're also in the midst of God doing something in your life to produce something good. And that's hard to wrestle with. That, that's hard, extraordinarily hard to wrestle with. But it's important. 
I want to kind of take you to the scene there, right? I want to take you to the scene of grief and sorrow producing fruit because, man, in the middle of something that happens where, where our faith is really shaken, we're opened up and, and we're really kind of left bare, a couple of things become noticeable. One, all of our shortcomings are out there. All of our shortcomings are out there. The places where we have, like, struggled to, to believe God, we've struggled to submit to God, we've struggled to follow God, we struggle to cling to God, becomes super apparent. Because in the midst of all that sadness, in the midst of all that fear, we shy back and go, oh, man. We resort to the thing that's probably most instinctual, which, man, in the midst of agony, like, it shows that there's some aspects where we don't instinctively run to God. We instinctively run to ourselves. Well, at the exact same time, laid there before us, is that in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our failure, there is an immensely gracious, merciful God that comes right alongside us and goes, and that's okay. I'm here with you. I'm alongside of you. I love you. I'm here for you. In fact, a big part of what's going on right now is that I just wanted to show you what's happening here. Because more than anything, more than all the blessings of the world, I want you to know the eternal peace of what it means to trust in me, what it means to cling to me, what it means to affectionately follow me. And what other time and place in our lives do we have that opportunity? It's unique to that moment. Of sorrow and pain and struggle. C.S. Lewis, in, uh, in his book, A Grief Observed, uh, which is actually a book uh, specifically about uh, his life after his wife died, uh, about the same topic, uh, wrote this, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who did it. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. Like that, man, there's this amazing God who, as he follows the narrative of the entire universe, in bringing salvation to the world, in restoring and redeeming, he would still look at our story and say, man, I'm right there in the middle of it with you. And I don't want a single moment of suffering to go wasted. In fact, I want to show you and produce fruit in you in the midst of suffering and in the midst of grief that will inevitably bring eternal joy and hope and healing. That's the God we serve. That's the God you serve. That's your God today. That he would love you so deeply even in the midst of what's happening in your life. Now, I want to be really clear about something. Uh, all of this that we're talking about today, all of this, the practical application, the idea of grief, none of it goes like this. None of it goes just tracking upwards. If you think that's the, the case, whether you think you set that expectation for yourself or you set that expectation for someone else, you will be drastically and dynamically disappointed. Because great, grief, man, what is up with this? But I don't say grace right there, too. I said grace there and not grace, which I'm going to take credit for if the Lord's doing something right now. All right. Uh, yeah, grief, grief. Right is not a single uphill climb. It, it's, it's a mountain range with valleys and with ups and with downs. And so, so we may be wrestling, even here, like, let's just look at this text. Like, they did good and bad stuff, right? Like, they did, they kind of handled grief rightly and handled grief not so rightly. But they, they mourned, which was good. But then they also, like, kind of resisted to deal with some grief and were like, oh, I don't know if I want to deal with this or sing these songs. But yet in 5 and 6, God is still doing something in their life. So, so it's not about how well we manage to get through grief. It's 
about what God desires to do for you. And when we come to him in the midst of our suffering, whether we're high or whether we're low, and let me assure you, no one is going to navigate it 100% correctly. There's only one that did that. His name is Jesus. When we continuously come to him and submit ourselves to him in the midst of this up and down battle that is grief, that is sorrow, that is sadness, he continues to do the work. He continues to, to make us alive. He continues to stir faith. He continues to stir affection. And what that means, what that means, and I kind of want to take a side thought and just step out of the personal experience of grief and turn now for just a quick second to those who are supporting those in the personal experience of grief, is that it's not about you supporting someone. Let me, let me say that again. That was a weird way to say this. God is doing something in the lives of those that are his and lives of those that pursue God and miss in their grief and he is the star lead role in that work. Oftentimes, what happens is that we feel the need to step in and take the lead in helping someone get over grief. And let me assure you, you've taken the wrong spot in that. You were meant to play a role. You were meant to, to play a part. But there is only one who takes the lead. And walks and walks and works through grief with someone, and that's God. And He's using a symphony of different things to do it. But when we step into the lead, we oftentimes fail to serve the people close to us because we oftentimes simply just hurt them. And I don't say this from from I, I do actually. I say this from a place of experience, not with with griefs per se. I want to acknowledge today that man, I don't think I'm quite acquainted with grief the way many are. I have some experience, man. I would look at people that have gone through some things and go, man, I, I cannot imagine what that feels like. But I do know what it feels like to horribly walk with someone through grief. Uh, some of you guys know that five years ago, my stepfather died um, uh, in uh, kind of fighting cancer. Uh, and my mother, over the next two-year period, went through a huge battle of grief. Um, it was deep. It was, it was one of the deepest things I've seen anyone go through in my entire life. And what I took upon myself was that I needed to jump in and share with her every bit of truth so that she could work through it in the best way possible. Because I wanted her to just hit an upward fight. And that was it. And so I needed to be the one that told her every bit of truth. I needed to be the one that encouraged her every bit and help her see the, the silver lining, help her see the good in every single part that was happening. And then in the midst of her grief, because like I said, it's not an uphill battle. There's downs and the aching of her heart. There were moments where she was like, nah. I don't want to hear that right now. I felt shunned, disrespected, so I turned away and said, all right, man, well, I'm not going to be around now. What I was doing was trying to make her earn my presence by receiving my encouragement. What I should have been doing in supporting someone grieving, supporting someone in loss and in pain, was, was being present in order to earn my right to encouragement. And those are two extraordinarily different things. So, man, for those of us right now, like, man, we want to walk alongside someone who's, who's grieving a loss of some kind, who's grieving pain of some kind. Like, let me encourage you. Like, just be present. You're called to play a role in their healing, but you're not called to take the lead role in their healing. That's God's place. But, man, you have the opportunity beautifully to partner with God in coming alongside of them and in seeing restoration happen that brings glory to God and we pray brings healing to their lives. And so be present. Be present, and when you are given by the person reading opportunities to speak life into them, take them. That's okay. Don't assume that what they need is you. Because what 
they need is God. So, man, we have that beautiful opportunity. That's important. I want to say that, man, I wanted to take that time because that's critical in our life today and in their life. That's critical in, in the people, any person grieving, that's critical in our life. We would feel supported in the midst of our grief. Because working through all of what we talked about so far, these first two points, like grieving being right, grieving producing fruit, X, Y, and Z, like, man, it's difficult. It's hard. Because it largely starts with our last point, kind of in the inverse order, I guess. That, man, grieving, it most initially, most initially lays our heart there. It just bears our heart out there. Uh, I, I want to read what probably made most of you uh, like, kind of raise your eyebrows a little bit when we started. Uh, so let, let's take a look at it. It's verses 7 through 9. They have been taken out of Babylon. They've been taken out of Jerusalem to Babylon. They have cried. They have said praises to the Lord. And now the song finishes in a pretty hard place. Verse 7, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Now let me acknowledge, for real, that man, that's hard to read. My prayer, though, is that in, in looking at this in the next few minutes, that he would take us from God and his spirit workers would take us from a bit of like, oh my gosh, into deep worship for him. That seems like a pretty far jump. But I, I believe that can happen because once we know what's happening here, I think it can kind of readjust the context that we're looking at this, uh, through which we're looking at this. Now, uh, man, is it over here? I kind of just want to stand by the screen. I'm sorry. Can we go back to 8 real quick to get? In 8, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. That kind of should be coupled with 9. And then 9 is the description of what has happened to us. What happened to us as the, the Jewish people writing was that, man, you took our little ones and dashed them against the rock. So it's coupled together with this sense of like, man, blessed is he who does to you what you've done to us, and what you've done is dash our little ones against the rock. You destroyed our children right in front of us. You left us sorrowful and, and, and pain-filled and in anguish. And I, I, I want to contend, guys, like legitimately, for us as human beings, as I mentioned, there, no one has handled, no one has handled grief in a perfect way. I want to submit that in our imperfection, a lot of us, this is kind of a natural reaction to our sorrow. And in here, it's easy to say, oh man, that, that's great. Why is that in the Bible? Man, that's a little much. What we don't realize is that this is about humanity experiencing the depth of sorrow. And if we were very real with ourselves, many of us have felt the same exact thing toward those that have hurt us. This is called an imprecatory psalm. It means you don't need to worry about that word. What it means is that in the lament psalms, in the psalms that are expressing sorrow, in some psalms it ends or leads into this space where they begin to, to ask God to hurt or to damn the people that have hurt them. And in here it feels like, again, shocking, but if we were really valid in our lives, like, man, like people that, like, I want to start on a very light one, right? Like, man, if you've gone through a breakup and you've been hurt by it, I, like, there's like five people who start getting on the right away, like, ah, they ain't gonna lie. You know what I'm saying? They ain't gonna lie. If you're going through a breakup and you're hurt by it, you're praying some imprecatory prayers on 
Like, well, let's be real. Let's be real. You're like, man, that person, I hope so-and-so does that. I hope they're next to me. Like, that's a natural response in our imperfection, in our grief. And then take it to a deeper level, man. If we were to experience something like this, something like this, for those of you that are parents, to look at the precious face of your child and watch them dashed and tortured and killed. In your imperfection, this could be easily, easily be a space that you ended up. The hardest part of grief is taking these feelings, acknowledging these feelings, and then bringing them to God, knowing that He's not going to look at me and go, Oh, that's evil. You shouldn't feel that. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do that. But if He would acknowledge that, bring them here. Bring those feelings to me, and let's you and me work those feelings out. That, that's, that is probably the key element to all of what we've been talking about. To see God as the center point of our grief, and, and God as the center point, I mean, I'll scratch that, no, that was not said well. God as the center of our experience with grief, right? Like, that he would be at the center of it. Means that we continuously bring grief back to him. Even the hardest parts of grief, like the moments of our deep anger, then that is a true display of faith. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're coming back to the God who loves you and who is perfect. Uh, this man, William uh, Bruin, he is a, uh, an Old Testament scholar, and he said it like this. It is an act of profound faith to entrust one's most precious hatreds to God, knowing that they will be taken seriously. And so I want to ask like a very, very open question right now. Have you brought those deepest and maybe even darkest parts of your heart to God? Have you just laid them bare before? Have you invited them into the space of hurt and hatred and anger that we're honestly scared to show to the rest of the world, but that God already knows exists, and to invite him to work with you in them? Have you done that? Because there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom in that. There's a freedom not because we get it off of our chest alone, but also because we bring them to the person who's going to say, in the midst of your hatred, in the midst of even your sinfulness, in the midst of your response and your grief, I want to take you and go, hey, it's okay, I love you still. I think about my daughter, that same one that had a poopy diaper. Uh, I think about, she's made a couple of appearances today. I go, both of them are actually not going to be that good. So I think about my daughter, she hits the deck. She's scared, she doesn't know what's going on. She's crying, she's a year and a half. So she didn't even know how to walk that well. She hits the deck. She doesn't know what's happening. She just starts crying. I run over to grab her. She doesn't know who's hurting her. She doesn't know where she's at. She's just alone. She's scared. And when I'm picking her up, she starts hitting me and going, no, no, just because she's hurting. And in that moment, as a father, all I know and all I want is to hold my daughter as close to me as possible and let her hit me all she wants, let her blame me all she wants, because all I want is to make her feel safe secure to make sure she's alright and to see her healed. That's God in the midst of our deepest, deepest suffering. That's what happens when we take these deepest parts of our heart and just give it to him. Even when it's against him. Hear me, like, when my daughter's hitting me, she's like, Dad, you pushed me. I'm like, no, didn't I? <laughs> in fact, I'm here trying to hug you and love you. And, and she's sitting there going, I mean, I'm sitting there going, man, I, I love you still. I don't 
even if your hatred, even if your anger, even if your deep-seated frustration is with God, take it to Him. He will manage it. He will deal with it. He will produce the fruit that we've been talking about this whole time. He'll do that. He will do it. Now, I want to close here a little bit. Because I want to start wrapping it up because I also want to acknowledge that uh, as I've kind of already been mentioning, kind of making allusions to, that does not mean that he will agree with you. I, I want you to, 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 to see that, like, God does not condone people bashing babies against rocks. And it doesn't matter how hurt you are. He mourns the loss of someone who has experienced that pain, but, but it is my deepest, deepest conviction that especially now, as we understand life through the context of of grace and truth in Jesus, his goal is not to, to smash babies away. But he did respond to this request, but he responded to it differently. He acknowledged, I hear that you want restitution, and I hear that you want justice, and I hear that you want vengeance. I hear that you want to propagate the darkness of the world that has been done to you by extending it to someone else, but I have to acknowledge, I'm not going to do it that way. I am going to enact justice. I am going to enact vengeance. I'm not going to enact it on those children. In fact, I'm going to enact it on my child. It was not. Justice would be served here. Redemption would come here. And in the midst of their sorrow, hope and joy would be brought to them. But it was not going to be because Babylonians or anyone else was hurt or anyone else was pained. It was going to be because God was going to take the darkness of the world, the vengeance that we desire, the justice that needed to be dealt out, and he was going to deal it to his own son. Now, I want you to see something real quick. It was, it was Jerusalem who, was, who, who had their little ones beaten, who, who were just made a mockery of. It was Jerusalem who was taken and taunted to say and speak up on behalf of their God. It was Jerusalem who was laid bare before her enemies. And it was Jesus who was beaten and destroyed in the midst of the Romans and the very ones who were crying out, crucify him. It was Jesus who was taunted as he walked to the cross to take our sins and our pain and our grief with him. It was Jesus who hung on the cross for all to see in order to proclaim that his enemies were victorious. And it was in that moment that the Bible literally makes one of the only manifestations of God's grief on earth where the clouds became dark and the earth began to rumble and shake and the ground began to break all because God had grief. And I want to share something with you today that is in that very grief where your grief finds hope. It's right there that your grief finds hope. Because as his grief stayed, it did not stay as grief, it, it gave way to joy. As the same spirit that's alive in you, if you are his, who resurrected Christ from the grave and gave all who would come to him the gift of God. The same God now that promises to heal those who were hurt. You see that? Because God grieved the loss of his son, we were given the ability to be reconciled back to the same God who now declares that he can take your grief and in time, and in healing, and in affection, bring you to joy. I want to say it like this, because I, I, I just, it kind of popped in my head, but God entered into our grief so that he could bring us into his joy, if that makes sense to you. So today, 
Right? One of the biggest things that we, we, we're going to shoot for this morning is, is that it is kind of recognizing that answer. Because everything that we talked about here in this text is, is important and is good. But the response here was for God to point forward and go, you have hope. And you have the promise of me bringing healing to your life. But it's going to be over there with me. And today, in the midst of our grief, then when we bring that to God, he does something very similar and points back and goes, man, you have hope. You have the promises of who I am. They're back there at the cross where my son paid for our grief, for our pain, for our sorrow, to bring us hope and eternity. And so, in a lot of ways, I'm going to encourage you to do something that's extremely hard. is not failed. It was literally like hundreds of years later that Christ would take this grief on himself at the cross. It was hundreds of years later where, where restitution and justice would be seen. But, but my God, it happened. It happened. And Romans 3 says uh, that Christ now is literally the just and the justifier of all those back then, now, and forever and opposed to God who had asked them and maybe brought their own grief and heartache to them. And so, so, man, I'm going to encourage you to wait on God. And we can do that in a ton of ways, but man, we have a beautiful opportunity to do it today. That today, we're going to stand up and we're going to worship God, and I would encourage you that you really bear your heart to in this morning. There may be things that you don't personally, uh, you haven't personally worked out with the Lord. I'm asking you to bring, bring those to Him today. As we worship, just, just let it go. Let, let it out. If you cry, let me admit, if you cry, that's okay. That's all right. Man, if, 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 you, if you just, like, lift your hands, that's okay. If you, like, tuck your hands close to you and just work through the reality that, thank God, I love you, and I know you love me, and there are aspects that I do not want to work out with you in my grief, but I want to start that moment right now, man, that's okay. Do that. But don't just do it today. Work that out over the next few weeks. Work that out over the next few years. Like, like, start going to a community. Make some relationships in community groups and service teams here where you can begin to work out some of what's going on, not just on your own, but working out in the context of community that wants to point you to that cross that brings us hope. So that's why I want to leave us today. There's not a solution that we can snap our fingers and make this gone. Make grief and heartache gone. But there's a God that we can cling to who promises to bring joy in the midst of sorrow. So I want to leave us right here as we enter into a time of worship. I want to pray that we would just begin the process of really laying our hearts bare to Him, even today. Can you join me in that?